0: The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU.
1: You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1.
2: Good evening, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. The time is 7.01, and it is Tuesday, February 11th. We thank you for tuning in. I'm Nick Savage. And
3: I'm Andrew Eichen. Tonight we bring you an interview with a local museum's director, as well as discussion of NC State student and WKNC DJ who may get the chance to go
2: to Mars. In addition, we bring you coverage on some of the changes to downtown Raleigh that we can expect over the next few years. But first tonight, let's talk about the hot topic, or I guess that cold topic, weather with our meteorologist Katie Costo. We're all hearing about this big winter storm event coming up. What can we expect here in the Triangle?
1: Well, Nick, we had an initial round of winter weather across southern portions of the region late last night into this morning. And some of you may have just seen flurries while others a nice snow shower or two on your way out the door this morning. But we have a significant winter storm headed our way that will greatly impact the Triangle region tomorrow through Thursday. So get your winter gear out and ready. A low-pressure system is expected to develop along the Gulf Coast tonight and is expected to track into the northeastward direction along the Carolina coast. Once this low-pressure system reaches the Carolinas and is combined with the Arctic air mass already in place from the north, we will begin to see some impacts of the storm. Currently, the National Weather Service has us under a winter storm warning, which is in effect from 9 a.m. tomorrow until 6 p.m. Thursday. The main hazards associated with this winter storm are snow, sleet, and freezing rain. So a nice winter mix is expected across central North Carolina tomorrow through Thursday. Now the heaviest snowfall is expected to occur west of here, more specifically across the northwestern Piedmont region, including the Triad area. So the cities of Greensboro, Winston-Salem, and High Point, along with the surrounding rural areas, which should see the greatest snow totals. Also, potentially damaging ice accumulations are possible along and east of the Highway 1 corridor, including the Triangle and Interstate 95 corridor. Now, when ice is thrown into the mix, it is usually a whole different story. So please keep a close eye on any winter weather updates that are issued between now and Thursday. Significant snow and icing can be very dangerous, not only to the drivers on the road, but can also cause property damage and widespread power outages since potentially significant amount of ice accumulations are expected with the storm. Expect travel delays as well as quite a few school delays and or closings. In fact, NC State has already posted an adverse weather statement for school tomorrow, which states... Due to anticipated adverse weather conditions, all NC State University classes scheduled to begin on or after noon on Wednesday, February 12th are canceled. In addition, all classes are canceled before noon on Thursday, February 13th. Therefore, classes will remain on normal schedule tomorrow morning and are planned to resume normal schedule beginning at noon on Thursday. Woohoo for all UNC State students. Must be pretty exciting. The storm will first kick off with snow tomorrow morning before transitioning to freezing rain late Wednesday afternoon and evening and continuing throughout Wednesday evening. Expect anywhere from one to four inches of snow accumulations across the triangle, along with damaging ice accumulations of a quarter of an inch or greater on top of the prior snow accumulation. Now, this is pretty significant. It's going to make things pretty slick out there and dangerous. So please, please be careful If you find yourself having to drive on the roads out there to work a couple of tips I have for you to make sure is that it's probably a good idea to throw a warm blanket in your car along with a bottle of water and a snack just in case you find yourself stuck or stranded in traffic. Also remember it is better to stick to the main roads and highways if you can as they will most likely already be salted, plowed and better managed than the back roads. And remember to use extreme caution when driving over bridges and overpasses since they do freeze over before the roads. Now the winter weather will clear out of here by Thursday evening, but with temperatures dipping to well below freezing with a low of 26 degrees and partly cloudy skies, so it will still be hazardous out there on the roads. So try to stay inside and off the roads if you can. Now on Friday, any snow or ice accumulations resulting from this week's storm will begin to melt since temperatures will make it above freezing and into the mid-40s and partly sunny skies. So we will begin to see some slushy conditions develop, especially on the sides of the roads. Friday night, we will drop back down to below freezing temperatures, though. So expect some black ice on the roads on Friday night. Be careful if you're planning on heading out. Now for your weekend forecast, expect an overall pleasant weekend with highs in the upper 40s on Saturday and highs in the low to mid 50s on Sunday and mostly sunny skies. It will be chilly through the overnight hours with temperatures still dropping below the freezing mark, so use caution if driving on the road still because there will be residual black ice and frozen slush present on most of the roads. And remember, we do have a winter storm warning in effect from tonight until Thursday evening. Now, what this means is that significant amounts of snow, sleet, and ice are expected or occurring. Strong winds are also possible. This will make travel conditions very hazardous. Therefore, residents of central North Carolina should pay close attention to the forecast and prepare for potentially dangerous winter weather conditions on Wednesday and Thursday. I'm meteorologist Katie Costa. Thanks for tuning in to your weekly weather forecast here on Eye of the Triangle. Back to you, Nick.
2: Thanks, Katie, for that very comprehensive report. And now, it's time for the news.
1: This
4: weekend news on Eye on the Triangle.
2: A brief rundown of the latest news.
3: Police in the U.S. and Italy have broken up a major transatlantic mafia ring, arresting 24 people accused of plotting to move hundreds of millions of dollars in drugs between South America, Italy, and North America. The FBI and Italian agents jointly carried out Operation New Bridge simultaneously just after midnight in Brooklyn, New York, and just before dawn in Italy. Those arrested were accused of international drug trafficking, money laundering, and membership in organized crime. The sting operation involving undercover agents and phone tapping offered more evidence that the Calabria-based Indrangheta have overtaken its Sicilian cousin, the Cosa Nostra and was trying to make inroads in the U.S. by forging ties with one of the traditional New York organized crime families, the Gambinos. The clans of the Calabrian Indragetta, a version of the Sicilian Mafia on the southern mainland of Italy, and members of the Gambino Mafia family in New York, were in the advanced stages of plans to smuggle 500 kilograms of pure cocaine from Guyana in South America to the port of Gioia Toro in Calabria. Italian investigators estimated the street value of the cocaine after cutting at about $1 billion. The drugs supplied by Latin American drug cartels would have said to have been sent to Italy, hidden in shipments of canned fruit. Some of it then would have been smuggled to the United States. The U.S. economy added 113,000 new jobs in January, far fewer than the 185,000 that economists had forecast, adding concerns that its recovery is losing momentum. For a second straight month, figures were far below last year's average monthly gain of 194,000. Yet the jobs report the government issued on Friday offered cause for optimism. Hiring was strong in construction and professional services, hinting that cold weather was probably not a major factor in January's job creation. However, government authorities at all levels shed significant numbers of workers, with the retail sector shedding jobs for the first time since March following a weak holiday shopping season. Still, the monthly household survey report showed a surge in people returning to the workforce and getting jobs. 638,000 more people had work last month over December. Pulling the overall unemployment rate down to 6.6% from 6.7% in December and 7.9% a year ago. And François Hollande, France's president, had arrived in the U.S., joining with President Obama. Obama and Hollande are expected to focus on areas where U.S.-French priorities are visibly in sync, such as the efforts to resolve nuclear concerns in Iran, a civil war in Syria, and al-Qaeda threat in Africa. Mutual interests, such as combating climate change and securing trade deal between the U.S. and Europe, will also be the message the two will seek to highlight. Hollande's visit comes as opinion polls back in France show his approval rating at the lowest of any modern French leader. One survey last week found that fewer than one in five trust his leadership. He is also under intense pressure to give a boost to his country's ailing economy and find ways to create jobs. To that end, he will head from Washington to California to meet
2: technology leaders in Silicon Valley. Thanks, Andrew. And now let's turn to Sydney for our international news headlights.
5: Thanks for that. In the latest protest to hit Brazil since last June, when public transportation fares rose and nationwide demonstrations caused a police crackdown in Sao Paulo, 800 peaceful protesters gathered in Rio on Thursday, February 6th to march in dissent to the 10 cent increase in bus fares. The campaigners, calling for money to be spent on better hospitals, schools and infrastructure rather than spent towards hosting the World Cup, soon encountered police opposition when the demonstrators began jumping over gates and authorities responded with batons and tear gas to defuse members of the Black Bloc group, Anarchist Group. The police were forced to close the station after they pushed the marchers out, who responded by throwing rocks at the officers and dispersed those still gathered, leaving thousands of commuters stranded. Protests in cities across Bosnia began Tuesday, February 4th in response to the Balkan country's unemployment rate, measured at 40%, and corruption, resulting in at least 90 injuries. As the protests continued, tensions increased, causing police to fire rubber bullets and stun grenades at thousands of anti-government protesters this past Friday, February 7th, and bringing about over 130 injuries. Crowds had stormed the local government building in northern city Tuzla, destroying its furniture and files before setting it on fire. Government buildings, including the presidency building, had its windows broken and were also set ablaze in the city of Zenita and the capital, Sarajevo, though the fires were quickly put out. Ten more people were injured in Zenita and 80 in Sarajevo that day. These protests are the most severe case of civil unrest since uh, since its 1992 to 1995 war. Despite the presence of thousands of French and African peacekeepers, violence among Central African Republic's Christians and Muslims threatened Muslims' place in the country, which was previously measured up to about 15% of the 4.6 million population, leading to more than 800,000 fleeing, many to nearby Chad and Cameroon, and innumerable deaths. Of the overall death toll from the past two months, consisting of the worst intercommunal violence the country had ever seen, the number continues to remain unknown, it's too dangerous for crews to even recover the bodies. An extensive area of the Central African Republic has been driven clear of Muslims by the Christian militiamen in the anti-Balaka or anti-machete group. The violence against Muslims follows the abdication of Central African Republic's previous president and leader of the Muslim Salika group, Michelle Jotoba. The Salika rebels had previously persecuted the Christians in the country, but its fall from power has resulted in the assaults now turning to the country's minority Muslims. Overnight flooding and landslides caused by severe rain in Burundi's capital Bujumbura has resulted in at least 51 deaths and over 100 injuries on Monday, February 10th. Hundreds of homes have been swept away, and roads and power have been cut off from city residents. The government of Burundi will cover the costs of burying relatives, as well as provide new housing for those that lost theirs. The ultimate destruction and casualties marks this as one of the country's worst natural disasters in recent history. On Monday, February 10th, in an attempt to give the restless south in Yemen more autonomy, the country's president, Abd Rabbo Mansour Hadi, approved transforming Yemen into a federal union of six regions— Insisting on a separate independent state, however, some Southerners immediately rejected the plan, which plots to divide the country into six regions that reflect long-standing historical identities. The blueprint, though, does not seem to resonate positively amid General Yemeni population. 77 passengers on an Algerian military aircraft died Tuesday, February 11th, when the aircraft crashed in eastern Algeria, supposedly due to war- poor weather conditions, leaving one survivor. Many of the passengers were soldiers or members of soldiers' families, and thus far only 55 bodies have been recovered. An al-Qaeda-linked group known as the Movement for Oneness and Jihad in West Africa, or MUJAO, has taken responsibility for kidnapping a team of Red Red Cross workers that had been reported missing the previous day in Mali today, Tuesday, February 11th. The International Committee of the Red Cross, or ICRC, Members were reported to be alive and in good health, according to MUJAO. According to the ICRC, all five members of the kidnapped team are Malian citizens, and the organization stated that it was doing everything it can to locate the members as quickly as possible. And that's the news.
3: Thanks, Sydney. Now here's Ben with From the Sidelines.
6: From the Sidelines on Eye on the Triangle.
0: Your weekly update on athletic events.
7: The men's basketball team took a trip to Miami this week to face off against the Hurricanes. The Pack managed to come away with a nail-biting victory, winning 56-55. to The Pack was led by 27 points from ACC leading scorer T.J. Warren, who would come as a surprise to no one. He scored 19 of those points in the second half, a half where only he and two other players even scored. and Turner also had 17 points, 16 of which came in the first half. The men's basketball team is now 15-8 and tipped off at 7 tonight against in-state rival Wake Forest. The women's basketball team had an extremely exciting week with both games that they played being decided by a total of 6 points. First, NC State squared off against Wake Forest at home and managed to get a 74-69 victory. The big moment of the game came when senior Maisha Goodwin-Coleman scored her 1,000th career point. The Pack next traveled to Virginia Tech and won 72-71 in overtime. The hero of the game was junior Lanique Brown, who hit the game winner with four seconds left in overtime. The Lady Pack's record of 21-3 makes them the 10th ranked team in the nation, and they will try to continue their five-game winning streak this Thursday at Clemson. The men's club hockey team made headlines this week when they beat George Washington to win the regular season ACC championship. A matchup of number one and number two, the game went all the way to overtime and even further. With the score tied at 3-3 at the end of overtime, the game went to a penalty shootout, which State won by a score of 2-0. to The ice hockey team will bring their number one seed to the nation's capital this weekend to play in the ACC tournament. The Rifle team faced off against Army and Nebraska this past weekend. The Pack lost both matches by very close scores. The people here at Eye of the Triangle would just like to say we sincerely hope the Army would have an elite rifle team. The rifle team will be competing in an NCAA qualifying match in two weeks. The men's tennis team had an extremely good week, posting three victories with one coming to the only team that they had lost to all year, VCU. The Wolfpack beat VCU 4-3 to three after sophomore... Simon Nerenius won the final match. Later in the week, State faced off against two teams in one day, beating Longwood 7-0 and upsetting 26th-ranked South Carolina 4-3. The men's tennis team is now 8-1 and will play against East Carolina next week. After beating rival UNC last week, the wrestling team suffered a defeat to 12th-ranked Virginia. NC State got wins in the match at the 149, 184, and 285-pound weight classes. The wrestling team now has a 12-5 and record, and they will travel to Maryland this Friday to face off against the Terrapins. on the Triangle would like to once again congratulate the ice hockey team on their ACC championship, as well as maisha Goodwin-Coleman on hitting the 1,000-point milestone. That's it for me, but if you'd like more in-depth sports analysis, please tune in tomorrow at 7 for Pulse on the Pack.
3: Thanks, Ben art enthusiasts of the Triangle may have noticed the lack of a physical location for NC State's Gregg Museum of Art and Design, but that doesn't mean that they're not still providing the area with great exhibitions. Last week on Eye on the Triangle, we profiled the history of the museum. This week, Nick has more.
2: The Gregg Museum of Art and Design is what is known as a collecting museum hosted right here at NC State. Since its inception, the museum has provided university students and faculty, as well as the public, a growing collection useful for various types of research and educational opportunities. Last week on Eye on the Triangle, we had a segment highlighting the past and present of the museum. This week, the director of the museum, Dr. Roger Manley, will share a bit about what the next two years have in store. Listeners may remember that the Greg Museum has secured a new space in the former Chancellor's residence at 1903 Hillsborough Street. Though they won't be able to move into that space for about two years, plans are still in the making for great exhibits.
8: We'll be doing a show about mathematical art, and I'm talking to the folks in the College of Sciences about that. I want to do a show about cryptography at some point. We're working on that. I've got a lot of, quite a list of things that I want to do, and my philosophy of doing exhibits has to do with starting with an idea and seeing where it leads, because I think there's two ways of doing an exhibit. One is where you sort of create a little set of definitions of what you're doing a show about. Like the classic example would be something like Dutch landscape paintings of the 18th century. And you see exhibits like that at museums all the time where they've determined up ahead of time it's going to be Dutch, it's going to be a landscape, it's got to be from the 18th century, and it's got to be a painting. And because of that, anything that fits in that category, they can show. I'm more interested in what do you do if you have a show about spirit Just pick an idea, liberty, repetition, where you start with something and you're not quite sure what you're going to end up exhibiting, but you use that core idea to follow it out and see what you can find that will help you explore the concept. That way you're sort of open to things that you might not have considered when you began the the whole process. As you sort of go along, the show grows organically, and you see what happens. We did a show just last spring Called Farfetched, and then the subtitle was Mad Science, Fringe Architecture, and Visionary Engineering. And the whole idea was like, what are the kookiest ideas that people have had? I mean, we had a, a large machine that you could get in, and it would make you purr like a cat. You would press a button and lie down on a bed, and it would vibrate and project this kind of white noise at you because the inventor of this machine thought that the purring of a cat was the happiest sound in the universe. So if you could make people purr like cats, then they would be happy too. See, So that's kind of a far-fetched idea, so we thought, well, this belongs in
2: the show. The exhibits at the Greg are clearly different than those at most museums, and for Dr. Manley, that's exactly his goal. His aim is to make an experience at the Greg more engaging than you might find elsewhere.
8: I guess as a kid, I always enjoyed going to science museums more than art museums because there were usually buttons to push. Or, you know, you could walk up to a case and there would be something you could press and then things inside the case would move or, you know, lights would light up or something like that. And I've always been more drawn to exhibits that involve the viewer somehow like that. That's what I want to do. Not every show can do that. Not every show you can handle the art or, or anything like that. But I do want there to be more than just going in and looking at a pretty picture. I feel like the Gregg Museum has a different approach to art in general. Most museums you go in for something like a religious experience. You walk into the Metropolitan Museum of Art or the National Gallery and they're the big paintings and they're painted by geniuses, their masterpiece works of art, and your jaw is supposed to drop and your, you know, your eyes get big and then you just think, wow, you know, like you have this kind of experience of awe, which is a good experience. But it doesn't make you. It doesn't make you feel empowered. You don't go home and think, "Oh, I saw that Rembrandt, so I think I'll take up painting." You know, "Oh, well, Rodin's a pretty good sculptor. Maybe I'll become a sculptor too." You know, it has the opposite effect. Most people, when they see a masterpiece, they think, oh, "I could never do that," and then they quit, or they go home and they throw away their brushes or their you know their chisels and just give up. And I want people who come in the Greg to feel like they came away with an idea or they feel energized or they can come out and that they've understood something that they can apply to what they're trying to do or feel like you can go to a photography exhibit and then think this really gives me a good idea for how to take my own photographs or I'm hoping people that go to the two shows we have up now will think about clothing in a different way. We're one of the sponsors of the Art to Wear event that the uh, College of Design and College of Textiles puts on every year. And I'm hoping some of the students who are involved in that fashion design and the, you know, innovative new clothing will come see these shows because I think they'll get some great ideas for things they might want to try adapting into the kinds of things that they're doing for art to wear. So that's just a basic difference in what we do. We're also a very accessible museum in that when you go to most museums what you see on display is only a small percentage of what's actually in the museum. The vast majority of the museum collection is in the storage and yet as a member of the public you're not allowed to see that. They bring it out occasionally for exhibitions and things like that but most of the time the stuff is hidden away and if you want to see it you have to get a letter of recommendation and you have to prove that you're working on your dissertation or. There's a whole lot of rigmarole. They, they do background checks and all this stuff just to make sure that you're not going to run off with the art. Fortunately, we don't have art that's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. So, I mean, it's very, very good art. It just hasn't gone into that kind of art market. And we're able to make the art more accessible. If people want to see something at the Greg. They can go online, look it up. We have our collection online. And then they can come to the museum and say, you know, I saw this Japanese kimono online and I'd really like to see it in person. And, you know, if they'll just make a little prior arrangement, it helps just to make sure we're there, (laughs) you know, but with just that, all they need to do is do that. And then when they show up, we'll give them some white cotton gloves and we'll get the kimono out of the box and set it on a table, and they can actually look at it and flip it over and open it up, see how it was put together and all that sort of stuff, which you can't normally do. So I want people to know how things work. When they see a pot, to be able to pick it up and see how heavy it is or how thick the walls are, stick their hand down inside and feel how the inside was finished off or, you know, what's written on the bottom of the pot. and All that stuff you can't see in a normal museum, so we're a little different that way. The types of exhibits Dr. Manley plans
2: to bring to the Greg are not only a function of his particular style, but also of his vision for the museum's purpose.
8: It just seems to me like that a university museum has a different role than a museum that's just an art museum. At a university, it's all about the teaching, it's about the student experience, it's about, to a large degree, the students. When it can also be for the public, then that's an added bonus. But we're really here for the student population and, you know, they're here to learn things and improve their lives and, you know, their chances of surviving in the real world and all that stuff. So whatever we can do to support that and to help them learn as much as possible, I just want people to feel like their lives are a little bit better because the museum's on campus. The Greg's sizable collection,
2: around 34,000
8: pieces, allows the flexibility for the museum to
2: pull together many different types of exhibits, For comparison, the North Carolina Museum of Art has 5,000 pieces, and the Nasher Museum at Duke has 10,000 pieces. Clearly, the Greg makes a notable contribution to art in the triangle. The items in its collection also demonstrate NC State's presence in the community.
8: We have a large textile collection, we have a large ceramics collection, and NC State has the world's largest college of textiles, so we have a textile collection that we feel like is really able to augment what happens at the college of textiles and we get a lot of design students coming over to use the collection look at the clothing we have a large costume you know fashion collection look at swatches from the last 200 years We've got all the way back to Peruvian mummy wrappings and all kinds of things. So it's great for people to be able to come and look at this stuff really up close, you know, and look at it under a microscope or whatever they want to study and see how it was put together, what it's made of, and then see how they can apply that kind of thing back to what they're trying to do. And
2: though the collection is already impressive,
8: new items are constantly being added, about 500 objects each year. We'll get phone calls from people saying, my aunt died and, uh, you know, there was all this stuff down in the basement. Or I ran into somebody last night who said she had four bronze sculptures and, you know, wanted us to take a look at them. (laughs) You know, I mean, just people basically give them to us. And we don't have a large acquisition budget. I would like to build an endowment that would make that possible, but right now we're very open to the kinds of gifts that people give, and and we get all kinds of things. And
2: though the exhibits currently hosted by the Greg were covered in last week's Eye on the Triangle, here's a review.
8: Right now we're having exhibits, and we're sort of borrowing galleries until we can get our own, own galleries back. We have a show up right now at the African American Cultural Center in Witherspoon Center on the second floor called Theater of Belief, and it's large format color photographs of African ritual costumes. We're also doing a show, kind of a concurrent show by the same photographer. Her name is Phyllis Galimbo, but she's having a show at Meredith College, which we also organized, and that one's called King's Chiefs and Women of Power. And it's a exhibit also about costume, but it's a, the show in the African American Cultural Center is about how costume gives people the chance to transform themselves and become the ancestors or become the spirits or the gods temporarily, whereas the show in the at Meredith is about the projection of who these people are. They're kings and queens of Africa dressed in their robes and sitting on their thrones and holding their leopard skin capes and things like that that indicate the power and tell people who they are so that the power is kind of projected rather than something they're trying to change into. We'd like to thank
2: Dr. Roger Manley for his time and for sharing so much about the Gregg Museum. For I in the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage.
3: Thanks, Nick. The Sigma Pi fraternity here at NC State is hosting a 5K in conjunction with the NCSU Counseling Center in un- in under a month in an effort to raise awareness about suicide prevention. Here's Desiree.
0: Are you interested in helping bring awareness to suicide prevention? Well, you're in luck. Sigma Phi's fourth annual Break the Silence 5K run-slash-walk that benefits the NCSU Student Counseling Center is swiftly coming upon us. Did you know that according to national statistics, 24,000 suicide attempts on college campuses occur per year nationwide, and that suicide is the second leading cause of death among college students? QPR, question, persuade, refer, is a suicide prevention approach in which one confronts an individual about possible thoughts of suicide. Question the individual about suicidal thoughts. Try persuading them to seek out help, remembering to listen carefully. And lastly, refer to ways to help professionally. This is not intended to be a form of treatment or counseling, but a way to offer support. If you're ever worried about an issue pertaining to suicide and its prevention, the NCSU Counseling Center is always available to help, or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Attend the fourth annual Break the Silence 5K on March 2nd on Centennial Campus check-in starts at 8:30, and the 5k starts at 9:30. Registration is $20 and if you register before monday february 17th you'll receive a free t-shirt you can sign up for the break the silence 5k read more information about the cause or even consider donating at www.ncsusigmapi.com forward slash run once again, that's www.ncsusigmapi.com run. All proceeds from this event support suicide prevention efforts at NCSU Counseling Center. So go sign up now and help the community bring awareness to suicide prevention and remember those whom we have loved and lost from suicide. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Desiree Ward.
2: This week on Eye on the Triangle, we have something a little different for our listeners. WKNC is a big champion of the local music and local music venues, so tonight we're going to do a giveaway. Uh, we're going to give away tickets to a show right here in the Triangle, and that show is at Cat's Cradle over in Carrboro, and the show is White Lies with Frankie Rose. That's taking place next Friday, the February 21st. Again, that's at Cat's Cradle. Um, the tickets are will call, so you don't even have to come pick up your tickets, you just go right to the venue. Make sure you call our phone lines, 919-515-0881, or you can call 919-515-2400 to claim these tickets. Good luck. The Apollo 11 moon landing in 1969 was and continues to be a source of awe and inspiration for people around the world. A new project titled Mars One could possibly blow that achievement out of the water, and a student right here at NC State might get the chance to participate. Here's our newest contributor, Sabra, with more.
9: This is Sabah Khan reporting for the very first time for WKNC's Eye on the Triangle. It's always a huge occasion sending someone off to another city for university or another state for a job or even another country for an experience abroad. However, it's a whole other type of send-off when the journey is interplanetary. An NC State senior in bioprocessing engineering will be doing just that. That's right, our very own Mr. Charles Parrish is going to Mars. Yeah, let that sink in, NC State. He's a potential candidate for the Mars One mission that will be departing in 10 years and will never return. Inhabiting Mars and making history, today we have Charles in the studio to learn more about this world-changing feat. Well, first, let's just get started with how you got interested in becoming a colonist on Mars.
6: Well, I've been interested in becoming an astronaut most of my whole life, and this was my first opportunity to apply myself for that. And it being the first private mission was pretty interesting to me because NASA doesn't have plans to go to Mars until at least the 2030s. And uh, this is a little more within my reach at least for now and 2024 would be the launch date and the arrival date would be in 2025.
9: So when you were a kid when was the first moment when you were like I really want to be an astronaut that's awesome.
6: Hmm. The first moment is hard to pinpoint but uh.
9: When did that not scare you?
6: When did it not scare me? It would never scared me. Oh okay. (laughs) It always seemed exciting.
9: I saw that you're certified Mm -hmm. for scuba diving Mm -hmm. and so you just love being in places where you can't breathe. (laughs) So, I was having trouble when I first heard about it, and I was like, oh my God, I don't, haven't even met him, and I'm going to miss him because he's going to be gone for a lifetime. <laughs> so, how are your friends and family coping with this?
6: Well, thankfully, they don't have to do so much coping yet.
9: Yeah, that's true. 10 years, that's, right?
6: Yeah, 10 years, and that's, you know, if I make through selection. So, that's the selection process is still ongoing.
9: But it went from 200,000 to 1,000, yes. right? and you're in the 1,000. Yes. From 200,000. So,. I feel like you're gonna make it. You're, they're gonna
6: pick you. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I hope so. Um, but yeah, my—I mean, my friends are very encouraging and happy for me, and uh, they say they'll miss me. But I told them I'd definitely send them a postcard. And uh, my parents are uh, less encouraging, mm-hmm. but still supportive. Um, and I'm thankful that that you know they're still willing to be my parents <laughs> and, uh, and uh, be here for me.
9: Yeah, that's sweet. So, yeah, it is 10 years, but in that 10-year time, do you have flexibility with the company to just change your mind?
6: That, I guess, would be something to find out down the line.
9: <laughs> so um, you, you went into this without knowing how serious the contract is between you and the Mars One
6: Well, yeah, so they haven't released the contracts as to what exactly they'll be, but the basic idea is that in 2015, once the final selections are made of about 20 to 40 uh, astronaut candidates, then those 20 to 40 would go on to train for the next uh, eight years or so. And at that point, you know, well, from that point on, in 2015, you will be a full-time employee of the Mars One project, mm-hmm. and so you would be doing training, personal training, group training, um, all sorts of um, like medical, engineering, scientific training. You know anything that you would could possibly need to know in going off somewhere where you can't call an ambulance or ask somebody how to build something. So readily or repair a leak in your oxygen system.
9: Right. So you're set with your decision. There's no chance in changing your mind. Right. Really? Yeah. You're that decisive? Yes. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Because usually 20, it's 10 years. So, well, that's even bigger, though, because you're going to be 33. So that's like, I don't know, people are getting married, right, at 33? Yeah, some people. Yeah, Yeah. So you don't think that's like an issue
6: um not so much i know it's a little different than than the usual uh 23 year old goals and things but um i mean i've i've got auxiliary plans for sure i mean in no way am i uh totally banking on this going through mm-hmm. so you know in case i don't make the final selection uh, that's fine i'll Go on through uh, graduate school, and get my master's and possibly a PhD, and then continue in on. What? Uh, probably continue in bioengineering, possibly chemical engineering. Oh, okay. Uh, it uh, depends on the the offers I get, and um, you know, from there, uh, I will continue to gain experience in order to apply to the NASA astronaut corps.
9: So, and being an astronaut is still a Big part of your or becoming one. Correct. That's nice. That's really nice that you know exactly like, you know, your passions and what you're interested in, and then you're going to go for that. That's awesome. So, and then I saw that you went to, you were already in this a similar habitat like Mars, and you went, you're with the Mars Desert Research Station. Where is the station?
6: Uh, the MDRS is located in the desert of Utah, and it's, it's kind of in the southern half of Utah. And uh, out in the boonies, not much else around. So completely isolated uh, for two weeks. And in that time, it was just the seven of us uh, with occasional water resupply. Yeah, it it was an incredible experience just being with a small group of people every day, all day for two weeks. And especially over the winter holidays. You know, we all gave up our breaks to be there. Right. And, uh, you know, some were students, some had graduated, some are in uh, higher degree programs, some are doctors. So it was oh, wow. it was all types. and uh, That keeps it interesting. Definitely. Hopefully definitely.
9: it'll, and I've read that the Mars One mission is going out of their way to get really diverse groups of people. Exactly. So in that, those two weeks, it didn't feel like it was getting to you or you, it was driving you insane being in a you know small quarters with people that were so different from you it didn't bother you
6: you know going into it as part of a crew that didn't select itself we were assigned by the mars society so i wasn't sure how it was going to work out uh because you you've got to be compatible psychologically and um be able to get along well and stay friends by the end of it that's the biggest challenge and uh we actually got along very well, uh, came sort of like a family after the end of it and Sorry. and we didn't really want to leave. it was oh really it was, it was yeah it was it was weird going back to uh earth and, <laughs> uh you know getting the getting back in the rental vehicle and driving through the mud all the way, and then finally getting to a piece of asphalt. It was just weird
9: really were you out allowed to go outside of the living quarters or, or was it exactly like Mars where you you would have to be in a spacesuit to go outside
6: right yeah so we uh we had scheduled EVAs every couple of days and each of us got to go out on average about every 3 days for a few hours and uh we had to wear a spacesuit a mock suit uh for for the duration of that time, and so we got to deal with uh, the humidity in our uh, helmets and the overheating in the in the cold desert. I mean, you would still get hot just trudging around in those suits. Um, so, yeah, it was it was interesting uh, operating as if we were on Mars and yeah. practicing for that.
9: So that was the first part of our interview. Tune in next week to hear all about Charles' role on Mars, how his major is going to help him in conducting that role, his life on Mars, and what his real goal is on his mission to Mars. If you want to help out, Mars One has a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo.com and they are taking donations for 2018, which is when they plan to send an unmanned satellite which will further enable the human landing in 2024. Thank you for listening and have a great night.
3: Thanks, Saba. According to Forbes, Raleigh is the fourth fastest growing city in the country. NerdWallet rates the city as the sixth best place for job seekers and 24-7 Wall Street has U.S. has us as the 10th best run city. It should come as no surprise then that a lot of changes are in the works for the city's near future. Michaela has more on what to expect.
4: As we all know is one of the best places to live, especially with all the new downtown renovations and changes. There's this new thing called the Downtown Plan, which will serve as a basis for the growing Raleigh area. The Downtown Plan started with Fayetteville Street and the building of the Raleigh Convention Center. The priorities of the Downtown Plan are to have Raleigh citizens embrace the outdoors, to reevaluate infrastructure and ensure its sustainability, and to better connect the roads and improve transportation. Current changes and projects are happening in Market and Exchanges Plaza, attracting startup companies in the Warehouse District, the Union Station, and a huge 23-story residential tower and charter square to help promote economic competitiveness with Fayetteville Street. The hopes are that these changes and renovations will better improve these people's lives from Western Boulevard to Wade Avenue, from East Street to Hillsborough. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Michaela O'Connor.
3: Thanks, Michaela. And now here are the campus happenings for the next week.
7: Me, so
2: Here's what's going on at NC State. Tomorrow at 3.30 is a lecture titled Fooling the 9 Billion, featuring Dr. Ricardo Salvador of the Food and Environment Program at UCS. He will speak on the future of food and how to transition the current food system into one that grows healthy foods while employing sustainable practices. A question and answer session will follow the event, which will take place at the University Club at 42 Hillsborough Street. Thursday, NC State's Office of Information Technology will be sponsoring a mobile security checkpoint in recognition of February as Data Privacy Month. If you have mobile security concerns or general computing questions, an OIT trainer will be there to arm you with answers. Look for the OIT pop-up banner in Hunt Library from noon to 1 p.m. Thursday evening is the next in the Read Smart Author panel at the Cameron Village Regional Library. This week's event will feature a panel of authors who will discuss their essays included in the collection 27 Views of Raleigh. The event begins at 7 p.m. Also on Thursday at 7 is the Student Short Film Showcase. Backed by popular demand, the fourth annual event will showcase the talent of NC State students as they screen their best short films, all under four minutes. Students will talk about the process of creating their work, and professors will be on hand to facilitate discussion. Stop by the Hunt Library Auditorium to catch the screening. Starting this Thursday evening, NC State University Theater presents its production of the classic Broadway musical, Chicago. Taking place in Thompson Hall, the show can be seen at any number of showings between now and the 23rd. Friday from 10.30 to 2.30, Clark and Fountain Dining Halls present For the Love of State Valentine's Day Treats. Come enjoy flowers and waffles served all day, presented by NC State Dining. Friday on the Brickyard, the Confucius Institute at NC State presents a Chinese New Year Valentine. Make your own Chinese Valentine card, receive a unique Chinese gift, meet Panda Bear Bao Bao, and watch lion dancing, all from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. In the event of inclement weather, the event will move from the Brickyard to Witherspoon Student Center. Friday afternoon, Alvin Goodman of Rutgers University will give a talk entitled A Bodily Format's Approach to Embodied Cognition as part of the Logic and Cognitive Science Lecture Series. The event will take place at 3.30 p.m. in Withers Hall, room 140. Saturday at 7 p.m. is a screening of Education Under Fire, a documentary and discussion taking place at Witherspoon Student Center. The 30-minute documentary addresses the continued government-sanctioned persecution of specific groups in Iran and profiles the growth, struggle, and inspiring spirit of the Bahá'í Institute for Higher Education. Learn more at educationunderfire.com. This weekend at the Campus Cinema in Witherspoon Student Center, the films Last Vegas and Dallas Bios Club will be showing. Visit uab.ncsu.edu slash films-schedule for times. For more information on these events and more, visit ncsu.edu slash calendar. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. And of course, this Friday night is the second weekend of WKNC's Double Barrel Benefit 11. Double Barrel Benefit is our big annual fundraiser, and we host a bunch of local bands. Last weekend was our first show— We had amazing music by The Love Language, Hammer No More the Fingers, Towers, and Ghost Blonde. And if you missed it, I kind of feel sorry for you. This Friday night, it'll be Mount Moriah, Bombadil, Lomelands, and Daniel Bachman. That's all going to take place here in Raleigh at the Lincoln Theater, so get excited for some good music and help support your favorite college radio station, WKNC, by coming out. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, you can let us know on our Facebook page. You can also tweet at us and follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT for more local news. Also, be sure to check out our blog at blog.wknc.org, where you can also download our podcast. Finally, please be sure to keep your pets safe and cool during hot weather.
3: Well, that's all we have for you now. We'd like to thank our international news correspondent Sydney Bloom, meteorologist Katie Costa, sportscaster Ben Hefner, and contributors Michaela O'Connor and Saba Khan. Be sure to tune in next week and stay tuned for After Hours up next. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Andrew Eichen. And I'm Nick Savage. Good night.